Alright, fellas. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Who went to the uh, worship thing this morning? Most of you guys there? Nice. How was it? It was great. I walked in for a second. No, it was just rocking. Yeah, for having to pop in. Who's that? I saw Goose up there doing some crazy stuff. Oh, I'm Hey guys, let's just uh, say a prayer, and then um, and then we got some cool stuff we're talking about. I'm excited to talk about. It. Let's pray. Father, God, we are uh, we're just humbled to to be in a room like this. Um, God, we know we don't really deserve to be here. A uh, chance to listen to your words and be around guys really trying to follow you. Um, to be in a family like this, to go to a retreat like this, to open up your Bible and get a chance to talk about it. God, Jesus is amazing. Yeah. I just feel so grateful that we get to follow him. We get to put our life uh, in his hands. And I feel just so excited about what we're going to be talking about today. God, I pray that as, uh, as we talk tonight, I pray that you would just soften all of our hearts. Uh, that you would just help us come to the table uh, with humility. That we would come to the table just ready to listen and learn. Um, God, that we would see Jesus in a way maybe that we've never seen him before. God, I pray that uh, after this class that a lot of us would just going our way, really wanting to make some big decisions with our life, and wanting to turn our life in for you, and, and uh, wanting to really follow Jesus with everything that we have, and uh, God, thank you for giving us that opportunity, thank you for Jesus and all he's done for us already, God, we just feel so grateful that even 2,000 years later we get a chance to talk about him, and, and get a chance to respond to what he did, uh, like Brian was talking about last night, even thousands of years after his, after his life. God, I pray you do with me today as I speak, and uh, looking forward to hanging out with all these guys today, and um, just love you so much. Your son's going to pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to see who we got represented in the house. We got, um, we got, what, what schools we got out here right now? We got Georgia State. State. We got UGA. We got UGA. South Carolina State. South Carolina State. Anything else? What is it? Asheville Bunkum Tech. What is that? Asheville Bunkum Tech. That is awesome, man. It's good to have you guys here. My name's Nick. I get a chance to, to uh, me and my wife get a chance to work down with Georgia State and get a chance to be down there in Atlanta. But as you can tell from my hat, I went to UGA. Okay? So talk about it. I mean, I might be an out of Y'all blow it. All right. All right. But uh, that's, that's me, and, um, and I'm just excited to, excited to talk to you guys today. For me, like, it's pretty simple what I, kind of why I do what I do and why I feel like I have to. Is because uh, I think Jesus is just the most amazing person to ever exists, yeah. and I think that his life and like who he was was just absolutely extraordinary. He just like totally as I as I like, got to know about him, and, and kind of for me it was really in high school when I started really taking him seriously. When I got to know about him, the dude just became so quickly my like just my hero, and I was like, all I know is that I want to be on that guy's team. You know, like, I don't, the greatest coaches out there, right? I'm like, all, all I know is that I want to play for this guy. I want to do life like this guy. And as I followed him over the years, I've just been like, this dude is just crazy. Like, he's insane. Like, he's just incredible. And I'm just growing to fall more and more uh, in love with him and stuff like that. 
But for me, that was like a decision I had to, I had to come to. Uh, nobody's like born a follower of Jesus, right? It's not like a come down the room like, boom, I know who Jesus is. He's my man. And I know how to follow him. I know even what sin is. I know what, you know, how to repent. I know how to, you know, I know how to believe in something, right? Like two years old, you, got, you have no idea what you're doing. Or like even, I mean, Jordan's got a four-month-old right now. And like that kid just poops himself and that's about it, you know? <laughs> it's incredible, but like you can't really call him a Christian, right? Like we all have to at some point make a decision where we're going to become a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And, and that's a hard decision in a lot of ways. Because now you're like, okay, now I'm not going to do life my way. I'm going to choose to kind of entrust myself and my life to, to this guy over here who lived 2,000 years ago. And he was an ancient, you know, he's kind of an ancient Middle Eastern man. Like what, so it can be a little bit like unrelatable. How do we really do that? But I think as we get to know him, we, we all have to kind of come to that decision. Because it's not just automatic that you guys just become, become Christians and know everything about Jesus and you're willing to kind of follow him with everything you have. You have to be safe, kind of make that conscious decision. Okay, here I go. I'm gonna, I, I learned about him. I trust him. I'm going to put my faith in him. Let's do this. And, and so for everybody, that comes at a little different journey and, and point. And, uh, and so what we're going to be talking about today is kind of like how, how do we make that decision? Or like what, what did Jesus have to do? to even allow us to make a decision like that. And then kind of talk through, okay, now because he did that, how do we really now go from here to, uh, to kind of really turn our lives in? When, when so much of the world kind of tells us that there's so many different ways to do it, I mean, people, I mean, you, if you asked, if you went down into downtown Atlanta and asked 100 people, like, hey, how do you become a Christian? You'd probably get 100 different answers, right? <laughs> and like some people, you know, would say, hey, I prayed this prayer, or some people say, yes, I was baptized here, or some people say, oh, I've always been a Christian. Some people say, well, I'm not even a Christian yet. I don't even know what that means. Some people, you know, like, I know if you go to West Virginia, there's some places. Has anybody seen the campaign, the movie Campaign? It's a terrible movie. I don't actually look at it. I Me and my dad walked out of it. But the, one, of the, one of the things I remember from it is that, like, Will Ferrell's there, and he's holding up these snakes. And if the snakes, <laughs> if the snakes bit him, it means that he didn't, have, he didn't have the Holy Spirit and that he wasn't saved. And so, you know, you're like, what, the, what does that even come from, you know? And so for everybody, it's like everybody has a little different idea of, like, how do you become a Christian? How do you really follow Jesus and stuff like that? And so it makes it like that much more important that we kind of pick this thing up and we actually look. What does it really say in here? Right. Because I don't really want to take anybody else's word for it except for Jesus right. himself. Right. Because, like, imagine you're just playing a game of telephone. You know how, like, like if we play a little game of telephone in here right now, that, that thing is messed up real quick. But then you're like... On earth they come up with that you know <laughs> like that is not even close imagine you played a game of telephone for 2,000 years you know what I'm saying like in all the messages that have been passed down and, and one little thing went off one percent and that went off a little more this way and now all of a sudden you're way over in this direction and you're like how did we get over here that's why it's so important to say okay what was the original source like what, what did they say right from the beginning and uh, and so that's what we're gonna be talking about a little bit today. Does that sound good? Yeah. And so what I, want, what I want to encourage you guys to do is as we talk about this, it's so hard for us to come to classes like this and even to come to a retreat like this and not kind of bring all of our preconceived notions with us. Yeah. Because all of us kind of come from a background that taught something. Yeah. And that we come from different places that like, that we were, that's just kind of what we believe. Right. And it's not necessarily your fault. It's just like, but what we have to do is we have to work that much harder to kind of like, okay, let me push everything else out and let me just focus in. Like, let, let me try to be as objective as possible in this moment. Let me try to take the Bible, not like take what I've learned growing up and put it in, but just say, okay, what does the Bible really say? 
And, and, kind of, and so I want to encourage you guys to kind of, just to, just to kind of wipe away everything that you know, in a sense, right? And just kind of just wipe it away and let's just listen to the Bible purely, like for the first time almost. And so turn over to the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 8. Come on, man. All right. <laughs> Acts chapter 8. First of all, I just wanted to say that I'm really just thankful for you guys. Because the reason that you're in this room is because you want to learn how to follow Jesus. The reason that you're at this retreat is you're trying to figure out, hey, I know there's something in my life where I just feel like I need to do something to follow this guy Jesus. Or I've heard about him and I want to do something with him. And so that takes a lot of guts because if you ask people in your class, that's not something that they're doing on a, on a regular basis. And so for you guys to be in here shows a lot about who you are, shows your heart and... Um, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for being in here. And uh, we're all trying to get to know Jesus even better. And we all have our journeys. And, uh, but the fact that you guys are here is just really, really inspiring. Uh, as we talk through a couple of passages tonight, I want you guys to, to kind of like if you, got, if you got a piece of paper and you're taking notes or something like that, you can write on the top of the, of the paper or just kind of keep it in your mind five questions, okay, that we're going to have as we, as we kind of talk through some of these stories. And so we're going to be looking at a bunch of the conversions in the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts is the only place in the entire Bible where people become Christians. Mm-hmm. You guys know that? Yeah. Like, if you're trying to figure out, like, I thought this whole Bible is about becoming a Christian. <laughs> Which, in a sense, is true, right? But, like, there's nobody in the Bible that becomes a Christian, like, that we see the story of how they became a Christian. That's not in the book of Acts. They're all right here in the book of Acts. And so, to me, it's just a great place to say, okay, how did, how did this happen? And what we see is we see a similar pattern amongst every single story. We don't see, like, this person, like, some crazy experience for them, and they held up snakes, and they became Christian, and these people kind of, like, you know, kind of surfed on this massive wave, and all of a sudden that experience became a Christian. Whatever, like, everybody is, has a similar pattern, right? And so I want you to ask these few questions. One, who helped that person? Because you'll find that nobody in the Bible becomes a Christian by themselves. Right. They always have somebody that's, that's helping them. Number two, what was preached? Because you can't really get, I mean, it... You can't really learn about Jesus unless someone preaches him to you and teaches you about him. So what was preached? What was the thing that they taught? Number three, how did they respond? How did the person that was hearing it respond? Um, just like um, what Brian was talking about last night. And then fourth, how long did it take them to respond? Did they go on like a nine-year you know, missionary journey throughout you know, the jungles to find out about Jesus, or what was kind of the, how, how did they become, how long did it take them to respond? And the last, the fifth one is, how did they feel afterwards? Because when you become a Christian, like, there should be some sort of feeling that you feel. Like, you can't necessarily just like, oh, yeah, that was, that's just kind of a normal part of my day, and whatever. Like, that's, that's kind of like, you're marrying Jesus, you know? And, and so how did they feel afterwards? Did they feel like super guilty and depressed, or did they feel happy? And, and so, we'll see along kind of the same, we'll, we'll see the same pattern um, with everybody. Sound good? Okay. Here in Acts chapter 8, we're kind of right in the middle of the book of Acts, right? And so like, Jesus died and he's resurrected, which we'll talk about in a minute. And now his, his followers are going out all over the world and they're starting these, these churches all around, all around the world. And so you have this guy named Philip, who's one of Jesus' disciples, and he's walking, he's kind of, he's walking on this road. And then the Holy Spirit says, hey, go up to this chariot. And there's going to be a crazy conversation. Go check it out. And that's what we're going to read. And so in verse 26, it says, Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
go south of the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so what happens, right? Philip is leaving Jerusalem, right? He's going, he's going on the road, and he is told to go up to this chariot and stand near it, right? And who does he meet? He, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. And so first of all, do you think they looked a little bit different? You know, like a guy from Jerusalem and then a guy from Ethiopia? And so, but now they're having, this kind of, they're having this kind of conversation, which was kind of crazy back then. Like, that stuff didn't really happen a ton. But now you have this guy going and meeting a guy from a different nation. And remember what Jesus, what Jesus preached about? He says, hey, go into all nations around the world and, and teach them the gospel, baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything that, that, uh, that commands you. And so he goes up, right? What is a eunuch, right? Like, you guys probably have a little idea. Like, that's somebody that has cut their junk off. And what was the reason that they did that? So they keep royal line pure. That was for some of them. Some of them were guards in that, like, kind of a, uh, like a worship place for women. And, and so they were so, like, conscious about, like, we do not want to be, like, even have any temptation kind of with these women that we're just going to cut it off just so that they, don't, they, they feel protected by us. Isn't that, like, insane? Like, do you think this guy was kind of a, a, a character dude? That he had some character. That he, he might have been a pretty religious guy. Who knows? You know? Well, we actually do know, right? Because where was he going? Or he, he was coming back from Jerusalem. Yeah. Where he was worshiping. And he was going back to Ethiopia. If you guys look up on Google Maps right now. It was about. It, it would take you. If you walked from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. In our paved nice roads now. It would take you 30 days. Straight. Without stopping. Right? Imagine now. You don't have paved roads. You got nothing. You're just You know. That would be a few-month journey that this guy's taking. And what is he doing? He's in a chariot. He's the treasurer of the queen. You think he's rich? Yeah. Big time. This dude's a big-time dude. And then we, you got Philip. Philip's just walking. He's like one of us. He's just a normal guy. He's walking up to this dude, probably kind of nasty, you know, probably wearing, like, just kind of the common stuff, walking up to this guy and saying, yo, hey, you know, kind of like just talking to this dude in the chariot. And so we'll see the conversation that they have, right? We're going uh, to verse 30. It says, then Philip ran up to the chariot, and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Look at this. I love this question by this guy. Or what he says. He says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This guy had a, had a, had a scroll of Isaiah, right? And to have a scroll, I mean, that book of Isaiah is right, is right back here. To have a scroll in that time was more expensive than having a house. And so it was like this dude was... What, you think he was seeking God? Yeah. You think he was trying to find a relationship with God? Yeah. And so, but, but look at his humility, right? This dude had every reason in the book to be prideful. He's, he's taking big lengths to go, uh, to go worship. He has a scroll of Isaiah he bought that was more than a house, right? He's asking this guy to come up and sit with him and teach him. And he was, he was rich. I mean, he had cut off. He's like, hey, Philip, you cut off your junk, you know, like to, to, for, for your religious purposes? Probably not, you know. And so this guy, do you think he had a reason to be prideful? Yeah. But what did he say? He said, I, I, don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm reading. I need somebody to come help explain it to me. Has that been like your guy's attitude mm-hmm. as someone's trying to, be, trying, has tried to help you really understand the scriptures? Yeah. Because we can all come with our, with our pride. 
of saying, hey, I, I grew up in this religious church. I know how to do it. My dad, my dad myself is a minister. And you're like, my dad's a pastor or whatever. Like, and so he kind of knows what he's talking about. And or you're just like, you know, I, actually, I, don't, I really need somebody to help explain this to me. And uh, can you please explain it to me? And it's really cool. And so what does he read? He says, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch is reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before a shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As he traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch asked, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went into the water and then Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So he's reading right this, this, this prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus existed. Imagine like you wrote something now about something that was going to happen 700 years from now. And it came true. You know there's like hundreds of those kind of prophecies all throughout the Old Testament that point to this guy named Jesus that was going to come and then every single one of them came true. As he was reading this, he's like, dude, who's this guy talking about? And then Philip's like, dude, I got to tell you about this guy, Jesus. He changed my life. Check him out. And then let, let's just go with those questions, right? Who helped this guy... Do you think this guy, this Ethiopian youth, became a Christian? He became a follower of Jesus? Sounds like it, right? Like he became a Christian. What's the first question? Who helped him? Philip did. Right? What's the second question? What was, what was preached? It was the book of Isaiah. And, and it says that he began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And so isn't that awesome that it's good news? And so it's not like, hey, this is really limiting, condemning news. Uh, you're going to hell, you know? He's like, no, dude, I got some really good news for you. I got some incredible news. You ready for this? He's like, listen to about this guy, Jesus. He was incredible. They started talking about it. And so we'll, we'll talk about what was preached here in a minute, too. How did he respond? He says at the end, he says, hey, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? And they stopped the chariot and go down in the water and fill a baptism. How long did it take him to respond? Just as long as a chariot ride, right? Whatever, however long that was. Maybe it was a couple of days. Maybe it was a couple of hours. But it doesn't sound like it was just months, you know, months of like him having to persuade this guy. It's like, well, yeah, like, what, what can stand in my way? I want to do this right now, you know? And then how did he feel afterwards? What does it say? He says he went on his way, what? Rejoicing. That's a cool picture, you know? He comes up out of the water and he's like, that, that was amazing. That was incredible, Right? And so I think for all of this, where did it start? It started with this guy, first of all, just being humble. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into him really learning about the good news about Jesus. And I think for us, we have heard about Jesus growing up. But sometimes I don't know if we've actually really kind of like, we know what the good news is about Jesus. Yeah. Somebody asked you, like, yeah, he died, on, he died on the cross for my sins, right? And you kind of say that because you've rehearsed it in your mind, right? Like, oh yeah, he died on the cross for my sins, he died for my sins, he died for my sins. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Like, he did. On the cross. I have seen him. Like, my, my church, right? He's up there. Someone, you know, doing his thing, right? And, like, thank you. He's got me. You know, it's awesome. And so, what we're going to do now is we're just going to take a look at what did he really go through? Because it was insane. And just kind of like what Brian was talking about yesterday, it was for you. 
Right. It was personal. It was a rescue mission. And Jesus went, had to go through some pretty intense stuff to get there. So go over to Matthew chapter 26. And what we're going to do is we're actually not really going to read very much of it. We're just going to read the headings. Sound good? And then we're just going to talk about it as we read, right? And so I want you to skip down, down to uh, verse 17, right? What's, what's verse 17? What's the heading of that one for those of you that got a heading in there? The Last Supper. Now, were headings around when they, the, Matthew wrote this way back when? No, right? And so this is just like a summary, right? But I'm thankful that some people put this in there. We got the Last Supper. And so this is like where this is Jesus' final day. He's like, everything I've been waiting for has been building to this moment right here. And so he has, what does he do? He has a dinner. That's kind of cool, right? So he has a dinner. Every, all of his apostles are there. They still have no idea what's happening. They're like so clueless. They're like, dude, like whatever, man. You said you're going to die. No, you're not. Like whatever. Like we're all, we're still having dinner. It's during the Passover. So there's all these Jews all over the, all over the nations, all around kind of the Middle East at that point. We're coming to Jerusalem for this big festival. And so they're staying at this house. They're having, they're having dinner together. And they're kind of eating. And then Jesus starts to kind of, to kind of get a little more somber. He starts to talk about some things that are a little more deep. Like, this is what we see in, in, in the book of John. He starts kind of washing their feet. And he starts kind of like washing the dirtiest parts of them. And this wasn't just kind of like your normal kind of buffalo wild wings hanging out kind of dinner, right? He's like, hey, th- there's something that's about to happen right here. And then, and then what he said, he's like, hey, actually, what's going to happen tonight is that one of you guys is going to be trained. And they're like, oh, no, we're not. Like, we would never do that. And Peter even comes out and is like, dude, I would go to death for you, man. And Jesus is like, Peter, man, like, dude, you're, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times today before the rooster crows. And you know, it just went right through Peter's ear. Like, what, you know, and it kind of kept going. But then imagine, like, Jesus knowing that, like, one of the guys that he's washing their feet with is, is, is Judas. That Judas is going to get up. The guy that he's, they've been best friends for three years. He's going to get up and he's going to go, just for, just for a, a thing of silver, he's going to go betray the Son of God. Does Jesus stop him? No. He says, hey, do what you came for me. Do it. Because this needs to happen. Now, Jesus just kind of, he knew it was going to happen, yet he was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Let's do this. You know? Then you can kind of tell as Jesus is kind of getting winding down to dinner that he's just starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed. Because imagine you're sitting there, right? Like, and you know you're about to go through one of the most painful deaths in the history of humanity. And you got one of your best friends that's right there about to betray And actually what happens is everybody ends up betraying Jesus. Everybody runs away scared. Your, your boy, Peter, is going is to deny you a little girl. You know, a little girl's going to come up to him and he's like, I know who he is. He's scared. You know? And that was, imagine how you'd be feeling if you're Jesus. And he goes off and he goes into this garden in verse 36, right? It says it's a garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus goes and he just, he prays. He prays for an hour. He brings some of his best friends with him. He prays for an hour. And he says, God, I'm feeling so overwhelmed right now. He's like, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You guys ever felt that way before? Like that sad. That overwhelmed, where you're like, you want to die. Some of you guys may have, you know? That feeling is like, it's, it's, hopeless. it's so hopeless. You're sitting there like, 
I want to die right now. And he's like, okay, and he prays for an hour, and then he goes to his friends. What are his friends doing? Sleeping. They're sleeping on him. He's like, guys, are you kidding me? Mm. This, is my, this is like the most the darkest time of my life. And you're sleeping on me like this? Please, guys, stay up with me. This man goes and prays again. Prays the same thing. Like, just doesn't, God, please. If there can be any other way, please, please help me with that. Please, like, let there be another way. So he goes and finds his boy sleeping again. How would you be feeling at that point for Jesus? Like, are you kidding? You're, those are your best friends. Dude, you poured everything into. You're not even taking it that seriously. He goes back and prays again. And then as he's praying the third time, he looks in the distance and he can kind of see some torches. He can see a little mob forming and starting to come towards him. And I love what Jesus says. And we're going to read it because I think it's just kind of like, it's just incredible. Because he comes in verse 45 and he says, right, he says, are you still sleeping? Talking to the disciples and resting. Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Check this out. He's like, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus was just a rock, man. The dude was overwhelmed with sorrow. And after getting with God, he is up there and he's like, let's do this. Let's get it on, man. I'm ready for this. I've been waiting my whole life for this. This is my moment right here. And he goes. And he's taken. Guys, he's taken his boy Peter, you know, classic. He's still just to do zero. And Jesus like, dude, you, Peter, everything I've been talking about has been, like, nonviolence. And then my darkest hour, you're saying, cut to do zero, right? And what does Jesus do? I love it. Like, like this is, we kind of gloss over this. This is crazy. And he picks up the dude's ear. Then he goes up, and this goes up to my man Danny right here. I like to think that Jesus is put on backwards, you know? <laughs> put on backwards right there. He goes and heals the guy's ear. And then the guy's wrestling. And he says, don't you guys know, he's like, Peter, don't you know that at any moment, I could call down 12 legions of angels to my disposal, and they would, and they would pick me up right now? You know how much a legion is? It's about five to 6,000 souls. It's like, don't you know that I could call 60,000 angels down right now to kind of get me through this? He's like, Mom, this is, this is my time. He's like, because one day, there's going to be a retreat in Ocoee, Tennessee. And there's going to be some guys sitting in this room that have heard about me, but are trying to make a decision if they really want to follow me. It's like, if I give up now, they will never have a chance. Right. I, I'm doing this for them. And Jesus says, no, here we go. This is my time. Right. And so he's Romans taken. Imagine, like, you, you start taking Jesus after he just heals your ear. You're like, what, am I supposed to do this now? Like, am I, <laughs> that'd be kind of crazy, right? But he, that's what he starts to do. And he goes, and we don't really get all the kind of, like, details that probably happen on these little trips. But basically, he's taken at night, right? He's taken this, to this trial at night, which was illegal. You're not allowed to have trials at night. And you were supposed to have a lawyer right there with you that Jesus didn't have. And so everything about the trial that he's about to face right now is illegal. But on his way, they beat him. They beat him mercilessly. Where they beat him so bad, like, and these are these guys' jobs to make these dudes suffer and to beat him up, right? So they go, they chain him up, and they start beating on him, pounding on him. And then he has to get up and then now stand trial to fender his life like, like that. Like, these guys beat him until they were tired. And he gets up and he stands in trial and he stands in front of the most powerful religious men in Jerusalem. And they go to him and they say, hey, what, what? And they bring up false guys to come and talk about 
And they kind of say, hey, man, just make stuff up, right? You know, it was like one of the Levitical laws. It was one of their main laws that it was, if you bear false testimony, if you lie about somebody under testimony, then you should be put to death. But the main religious leaders kind of overlooked that when these guys were talking about Jesus. And they know they're lying, but they're just going to let him do it anyway. And so they say, yeah, we, he deserves to be crucified. And so what, they end up blindfolding him. And these guys, again, just come up. This is mild. Imagine like you're just blindfolded. And these guys just come up and just start, just, just as hard as they can, just start wailing on you. Right? It's like, just start wailing. People are laughing at you and they're screaming or spitting on your face. And you have no idea who they are. And you're in this crazy mob. And then they're saying, hey, man, prophesy. Who hit you? Who hit you, man? Like, what's my name? Do you think Jesus knew who that guy's name was? Do you think Jesus loved that guy like crazy? He said, dude, I created you. It's like, I'm, I'm doing this right now for you. There is mocking him. There's beating on him. Just brutalizing, brutalizing him. This is just, this is just the beginning. <clears throat> and I love Jesus because I think it shocked these guys that his spirit hadn't been broken yet. That he was just standing there like an ox. He's like, he's like, I'm still here. What else you got? That Jesus was going through some intense stuff. Then he gets up, right? He gets up before this guy, Pilate. I take him to the Romans. And uh, he says, okay, we got, a, we, got a, you know, we got a custom that we can release somebody, a prisoner. Like, because he didn't want to kill Jesus. He was kind of looking to wait for it to get out. And he said, hey, well, you know, we'll release. I got this mass murderer named Barabbas. Or I got Jesus. Like, who do you guys want back to you? And he said, they're like, they, they were like, without his taste, we want Barabbas. Because a man that was telling the truth was more dangerous to them than a mass murderer. Mm-hmm. And they said, we want, we want this mass murderer back in our society rather than having Jesus. How would you be feeling right there for Jesus? Don't we kind of deserve what Barabbas, like, don't we, aren't we Barabbas? Yeah. Where we're the ones that have sin? Did Jesus sin? Did Jesus mess up? No. We're supposed to be the ones that are in prison, going to crucifixion. We're the ones that deserve to die. But because of Jesus, we get a chance to go free. And Jesus is right there taking our place. So he's on trial, and then he's taken, taken off, taken later on, and... Uh, and he's, and he's flogged, it says. And you guys saw a little bit last night, but flogging was, was terrible. And it wasn't just something that, like, they hit him a few times. Like, they were, their goal was, it, they delighted in bringing these guys as close, as close to death as human possible. And so for the Jews, a lot of times, they said, hey, you can't, you can't lash a guy 40, 40 times. 40 times would probably kill him. And so they usually do like, they call it 40 minus 1. They do it 39 times. And they would just, they would just lash the student. The Romans paid no attention to that. They're like, we're going to do whatever we want. We're going to beat this dude up until, until he can't, until like, there's nothing of him left. But we're just going to bring him right to the brink of death. And so what happens is they just kind of start just beating on him to tenderize up his muscles. They, they kind of chain him up to this, to this post. And then they start just wailing on him. You guys saw it last night. And then they use this thing, right? It's called the flagellum. You guys ever heard of that? It's called the cat of nine tails, where it's this whip, right? That has that has that has nine kind of like uh, has nine tails on it, and they would put little little balls of lead and sometimes little pieces of bone 
and uh, right there. And so that when it hits you, it would, it would kind of bruise you so that when, so that it would like, it would rip your flesh even more later on. And sometimes his bone would get just hooked in these guys' skin. And you saw it yesterday, it just rip his skin right off, right? And Jesus is just standing there. Has Jesus done anything? Has he done anything wrong? Could Jesus at any moment call down 60,000 angels to rescue him? But at this moment, he's like, oh, there's going to be a room of guys that are trying to follow me. And if I don't do this, they have no chance. But imagine, imagine you're in the crowd, right? Like, and he just, they got, I mean, this is not even close, right? This, this belt right here. But imagine he's just, he's just right there and just, right? And there's one. They got like dozens and dozens of these, right? You just kind of hear it again. He just wailing and screaming. There's people in the crowd that are like, they're screaming and yelling for him. He's just starting to bleed more and more and more. Another one. See how some more. Right? And again. There's even more. And it just goes on. And then he's got every moment. Who's Jesus thinking about? He's thinking about you guys. And there's going to be room one day. I don't care. Every, every lash is worth it. Mm. Bring it on. Yeah. I need this. This is for them. Do I deserve this? No. Do I want to stop this? Yeah. But Jesus doesn't really care. Again, he's like, just over and over and over again. Until they say they could not recognize his body. People that saw him, that knew him, that were his best friends, could not recognize who they saw after the beating that Jesus received. All over his body, just in movements. It says that if they did their job right, they, they, you would be able to see their internal organs. That's if they did their job right. That's what they were aiming for. They, were, they would love if they could see some of your organs starting to spill out of you. And these guys are masters at it. They're masters of torture. <clears throat> and then at the same time, you know, Jesus is like, he hasn't eaten or drank anything since the night before. I mean, he's in the early stages of shock. But every moment, he could have stopped it. He could have stopped it. But he said, no, there's a guy named Daniel. I'm doing this for him. You know? There's going to be a guy named Sayo. I need to, I need to stand right here and take this, mm. even though it's going to kill me. I'm running for it. And he's taken away, and uh, he's taken in this place called the Praetorium, and which is kind of like a locker room. Right? He's taken in the locker room with, 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 uh, with the soldiers. I'm actually going to put this belt back on. <laughs> he's taken back in the locker room. You guys ever been in the locker room before? <laughs> High school and stuff? Yeah. Some of the like worst conversations and things like that happen in the locker room. This is where now nobody <laughs> This is where nobody could see them. Where they could do whatever they wanted without without like kind of just whatever they wanted without anybody else kind of like being being watching them and doing what they Imagine like the, the mockery that went down there. Imagine just them laughing and spitting on his face. And just like, where he's sitting up there and he's, 
what they end up doing, right, is they, 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 he's the king of the Jews, supposedly, right? And so they take a robe around him. After all those fresh, like maybe his organs are shown, right? And they take the, the fresh blood and they just kind of put this, this robe on him and start sticking to his body. Then they take a crown of thorns, just to mock him, that are probably this thick. They start just weaving it into his head. And then take this scepter to kind of give him for the king. And they take the scepter and start fashioning it in the head with it. Kind of like if you were to take a hammer and put a nail in your head and just start hitting yourself and start hitting somebody else, nailing this nail into their head with the hammer. They're doing it over and over and over again. Just laughing in his face, loving it, smiling. Like, dude, you, who do you think you're the king of the Jews? You're the son of God, supposedly? It's like, okay, yeah, right, dude. He's like, watch this. And he just kind of spits in his face. What could Jesus have done at any moment? He could have called down 60,000 angels. He could have stopped. He could have, he could have, I mean, he just killed this dude's ear. What do you think he could have done to this guy in front of him? You know what I'm saying? But Jesus said, no, I'm still going to go through this. I still need this. And then, after that, he's taken before the people again. Imagine how humiliating that was to them. Your, your body is in ribbons. Your head is just now bleeding profusely. It's not like you're, you're bleeding. You can barely see out of your eyes. You have this cross, this crown on you. And it's people that you love out in the crowd. That you, and you've been beaten up for them. And they're like, okay, do you want him now? We've, we've, we've torched him all we could. They're like, no, we want you to crucify him. Without hesitation. Like, crucify him. Like, imagine the evil that must be in your brain. You don't want somebody else to not breathe on this earth anymore. But they're like, without hesitation, put him to death. What has Jesus done? He just only healed people and taught about the kingdom of God and tried to love those around him, love the poor. They're like, kill him, crucify him, take him down. And then, you know, there is the crucifixion. The Romans were experts at torture. They had a few different ways of that they would kill somebody. They'd behead somebody. They would burn them alive. One of them was they would take uh, the victim and throw them in a bag of scorpions. And then throw them in the water and drown them as they're getting stung by scorpions. But all of that pales in comparison to what crucifixion was like. Crucifixion was by far the most torturous death known to man at that point. And they said, that's what we want to give to Jesus. So he's taken, and, he's, and he has to carry this 50 to 70 pound beam on his back. He has to carry it a half mile. After, I mean, the dude has no energy left at all. He could die at any moment. And then they get him up, and they put a nail right through his hands, right through his wrist. Because they couldn't put it here, or else it would slide, and the weight of it was just going to break his hand. They put it right in his wrist. They nailed him, and they put his feet together, and they nailed his feet together into the cross. And he's hanging. He's hanging like this. He's not just straight up. He's hanging like this. And you would die not from blood loss. You would die from suffocating. You'd be up there for days. Because think about every time you have to take a breath. And you have to pull on the to push up. Meanwhile, saying shockwaves of pain all throughout your body. Your body would start to go numb. You ever got a cramp before? That's like the worst thing of all time. You know what I'm saying? You can start getting cramps all over his body. His body would start going into shock. And birds would start coming and they would start eating, weaving away. 
has your hand on this cross and you can't do anything for it. And, and then what, are, as Jesus is, on, is, is there, what are the words that he says? He, he tells James, he says, hey, can you take care of my mom? He says, stuff like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This, they have, he has two criminals next to him that start hurling insults at him. And he just says, dude, I got you. Today you're going to be with me. Okay. When, when Jesus' last words, when he's at his worst, when he's at his weakest, somehow he still found strength to love those around him. Jesus is the most extraordinary man that ever exists. And right there, he dies. As he's dying, there's, you got guys that are, that are gambling for his clothes. Like, are you kidding me? They're gambling for his clothes right next to him. You have people that are shouting at him, mocking him. They're saying, dude, you're not the son of God. If you were the son of God, you would, you would tell God to come down here and he would rescue you. You think Jesus was tempted to do that very often? Gosh, not all the time. But he's hanging on the cross. He's dying. Every breath is like, God, there's going to be a guy that's going to be sitting in this room and he needs to hear this. And then he dies. And the son of God breathes his last breath, dies one of the most humiliating deaths in history. And I think for us, a lot of times what we can talk about is we can talk about the pain that Jesus went through, the physical pain that he went through. To me, I think the thing that we don't talk about enough is the shame that he felt. This, it says that in, like, in Hebrews 12, right? It says that Jesus endured the cross, scorning and shame. It, they don't actually talk about the physical pain very much. They talk about the shame. Jesus was terrified of how humiliated he was going to be. Because the cross was not meant just to hurt you. It was meant to, to dehumanize you. It was meant to be put on a public spectacle for people to watch. And, and you're not human anymore. You're meant to be like Because I'll tell you this. There was no one cloth on Jesus on the cross. We have all the paintings with Jesus. He would have, this all would have happened to him just being naked. And imagine, like, we have the G-rated version in the Bible of the things that were said to Jesus. Imagine the things that were said about him as he's hanging on the cross. Church music can just see his, to see his stuff right there. They're talking about the women that he must have been with that have been following him. That are hurling down insults on him. That are accusing him of, like, the most vulgar of things. Which verse in Hebrews? Hebrews 12. Verse 3. And it says the women follow at a distance. I wonder if that's just because they're like, I just can't bear to see Jesus like that. And the idea of us having a naked picture of Jesus, like hanging up in our, in our church building or something like that, like we can't even really fathom that because that would be so disgusting. It would be so disrespectful. It would be so humiliating. But like imagine Jesus and all he's done and he's, and he's like, like you ever been like, like, imagine if someone's about to show a picture of you naked up in front of your whole entire class. And you knew that was about to happen. Would you not just be, like, just shaking because of the fear you'd have of being humiliated? He knew he was going to die. I think the thing that he was most scared of was how humiliated and how shameful he was going to be. And why did he have to do it that way? Like, he could have done it any other way. He could have just been like beheaded or something like that. But he's like, no, no, no. I want to go through the most humiliating death that exists. Because now if anybody comes to me 
and talks to me about them being ashamed or them having a ton of like baggage in their life or them being abused and hurt. He's like, I know what they've been through. I know what they're going through. Jesus went and died the most shameful, humiliating death that's known to man. And why did he do that? He did that for you. He did that for you. Not you in general. You personally. He did that for you. Yeah. Like Brian talked about, like, we cannot see what that man did for you and just be like, hey, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's cool. Like, yeah, I go to church and stuff like that. Or, yeah, you know, I, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, man. He's awesome. That makes sense. But we don't do anything else for our life for that. Right. It demands a response. Yeah. It demands a response. And so that's what the Ethiopian eunuch is talking about. Where did that come from? It came from Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2 real quick. The amazing thing is, right, that Jesus resurrected him. And that he predicted it, and that it happened. And that he's like, hey, it kind of putting his stamp that he was who he said he was. Resurrected from the dead, and then he comes back and says, hey guys, I did that for you, but now I'm not here to, to, to shame you. He's like, I did that because I love you. Now I want you to, I want you to respond to me. I want, I want to be in a relationship with you. Yeah. I, want to, I, want to, I did that because I love you so much. I just, want to, I just want to hang out with you. I want to be together. Yeah. Imagine he comes up to you and you're like, dude, nah, I'm just, I'm good. I'm, I'm too busy right now. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, man. Like, that just seems a little bit too hard for me to kind of follow you. He's like, what? Do you know what I just did for you? Do you know what I had to go through because of your sin and what you've done? Jesus doesn't shame us. He gives us the choice. He says, I'm putting it in your court. You can choose what you want to do. Like, how much love is that from Jesus? He's not even going to force us to do anything. He's just going to say, hey, I want want you to make the decision. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter, the guy that just denied him, gets up and starts speaking. And then he basically says in Acts 36, after he talks about what Jesus has done, he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He doesn't pull any punches right there. Who does he say crucified him? You crucified him. Talking to all the thousands of people there, but I think he could talk to us right now and say, you, Owen, crucified Jesus. You, Deuce, crucified Jesus. We all in this room put Jesus there. We're the reason that he's there. And so he says, hey, therefore, let all of will be assured. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Master, Lord, and Messiah, your Savior. And people heard this, just like you may be feeling now. Verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. This was the first ever Christian sermon in mankind. And Peter gets up right after Jesus died and rose from the dead and he preached this for the first time. How do we respond to all that Jesus did. Yeah. What is the proper response to what he did? And he says simply, repent and be baptized. Go over to Acts chapter 16 for a second. We'll see, this, we'll see the same thing. There's, there's this other guy named Paul and Silas that are in prison. They break out of prison and the guard 
that like they break out of prison because there's this massive earthquake. And there's a guard standing there that's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get killed because these guys can escape. And so in verse 29 of Acts 16, it says, The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See if you see any of the same patterns. It says, They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and, the, and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had to come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And so who do we see that helped them in Acts 2? Peter. Who helped them here? Paul and Silas. What was preached? Well, in Acts, in Acts 2, what did they preach? He said, hey, do what? What do you do in response? Repent and be baptized. That word, right, repent, basically means just change, change the way you live. Now Jesus is your master. No longer are you your master. Which is incredible, because Jesus is the, the most amazing master to, ever. You don't want to follow you. You suck in a lot of ways. You know what I'm saying? Like, you are not a good master for yourself. Jesus knows you better than anybody. He knows you better than you. He knows how to live the best life. He's like, I want to give you the greatest life. He's like, you got to hang out with me. Like, and we're like, no, that's too limiting. I'm like, what? You got Jesus. He's a master of it. He knows how to do it. And he's saying, hey, I want to just, just listen to what I say. And he says, the way to do that is repent. Change the way you live. And then you baptize. What do we see? What's preached in Acts chapter 16? Well, do we, do we see that repentance may have been preached? This guy was probably the one that just beat up Paul and Silas. And what is he doing now? It says that he's, he's taking them and washing their wounds, inviting them over to his house. Does that look like a guy that's now no longer living the way the world is, but living like Jesus? Mm-hmm. That is trying to change and change his life like Jesus? What is that you need to repent of? Are you guys scared to repent? Because repentance is like incredible. Yeah. It's like, now I don't have to go down that dark path anymore. Now I get to go live for God? That's amazing. Thank you, God. I don't have to go down that dark path anymore. I get to live this new, amazing, crazy life. What do you need to repent from? Is there anything in your life right now that you're like, I don't really want, there's this one area that I don't necessarily want to repent from. That I don't want to give up pornography. I don't want to give up this girlfriend. I don't want to give up my relationship, like, in my family and stuff like that. I don't want to give up my comfort. I don't want to even give up this church that I know maybe not be teaching the right stuff. Like, what is it that you need to repent from? Because to me, if you're not willing to give up that, then Jesus was willing to give up all that, all that he went through for you. Like, what does that say about you? And I guarantee you that if you just keep holding on to that, you don't go all in for Jesus, it might not happen today, but at some point down the road, it's going to burn. And it's going it's it's to kill you walk with God. What is it that you go all in? It's the best decision that you could ever make. Do we see that baptism was, was, was preached in Acts chapter 16? Yeah, because he, was, he and his whole household were baptized. It's pretty awesome. Baptism is the coolest thing of all time. Where, like, you have all this sin, the reason that you killed Jesus, and he's like, hey, I want to give you a chance. I died for you, right, to take all that away. I want to give you a chance to wash all of your sins away. And so you don't have that baggage anymore. And then I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So you're, you're a clean vessel that now I can put my spirit in because you've washed all your sins away. He's like, I want, I want to give you that. And we're like, I don't know if I believe that baptism is what, was what, it, what it's, you know, that it's, it's, you didn't have to do it. He's like, no, that's not the point. 
get baptized. To wash your sins away. Why would you not, why would you not do that? You know? And there's so many even different kind of ideas of what baptism is out there. And if it's necessary, if it's not necessary, if you didn't have to do it, or like, oh, I did it when I was three years old, or I did it, but I didn't really know what I was doing. That's where there are so many scriptures in the Bible that talk about just the importance of baptism, the importance of the way that you show your faith in God is by, is by going all in and, and, and repenting and, and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, right? It's got to be really good to kind of talk through and figure out. But again, you have to kind of come with a blank slate and come being objective and saying, what does the Bible really say about some of these things? But the day I was baptized on March 21st, 2009, was in the Atlantic Ocean in New Jersey. It was freezing, right? And I was about going to a wetsuit, but I was like, it's lame. And so me and my dad went in there and he baptized me into a wave. It was sweet. And it came out, right? And that was the day that I feel like I gave my life, I gave my life to Christ. Where I was totally reborn into a brand new person. Where no longer was I living for me, but I was, I got, I was living for Christ. All my sins have been forgiven, and now, now I'm like trying to live faithfully for Jesus. And does that mean I was perfect? No. You know, it's kind of like if you ask my wife, Bree, right now, hey, has this been a perfect husband? I mean, she might say, yeah, no. <laughs> She'd say, no. You know, like two days ago. Like, I'm, you know, no. Like, it's, and, but if she were to say, has Nick been a faithful husband? I think it would be without question, yes. He's been a faithful husband. And that's what we're committing to with Jesus. Right. They're saying, Jesus, I know, I need help. I'm not perfect. And because I'm not perfect, that's why I need you. you know? mm-hmm. And because I'm not perfect, that's why I need to repent of my sins and get baptized. Because then I'm going to have this brand new life where you're going to give me your spirit that I can now, that's going to be my advocate and helper where now I can walk and strive just to grow and to become perfect because now I get to walk with you inside me. And so it's not about like you having to be perfect before you do it all. It's about you saying, no, I want to, I want to be faithful. I want to make a faithful decision and how do we see that this guy goes, how, how, how long did it take him to do that? I think it was just that night, right? Like, he was, like it was just that night. It says immediately, right, he and his whole household. At that hour of the night, like, it was all so urgent. Why was it urgent? Because if you understood that you did that to Jesus, and you're like, I might wait a few months to kind of like, you know, I'll figure it out at some point. Or I want to get through college first, and now I'm going to figure it out. Or then we get married first and I'll figure out, I'll get a job first. Like, why would you wait for what Jesus did for you, Dad? Right. And you have all that baggage. And he's like, I want to give you a clean slate. Where now I want to fill you my spirit. Why would you go one more day without that? Yeah. It's kind of like if you have a disease in your body, which we do. It's called sin. We have a disease in our body. And if you had a disease in your body and they had the cure right there for you. You say, hey, dude, you don't have to be in pain anymore. Here you go. You can have this. And you're like, nah, bro, like, I just have to, then I have to drink that. And that's probably doesn't taste that good, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like, getting healed, and then I can't lay in bed, you know, and stuff. And I'm like, that'd be so dumb, you know? <laughs> but that's kind of, that's, to me, that is how so much of our religious world acts. Yeah. And I think we just got to go and say, I need to make a decision urgently. I think some of you guys need to make some of those kind of decisions today. I think some of you guys... I know that all of you guys need to make a decision before you leave this retreat about what you're going to do about this. Because you cannot read this and, and just kind of be half, half in with that kind of stuff. Either you're all in with it 
Or you're like, no, I don't want it anymore. Because there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. There's no middle road. It's all in or nothing. I'd really encourage you guys to talk to somebody you've been getting with, right? To talk to your Paul, to your Philip, to your Peter, and say, hey, what do you see in me? I want to be humble. What do you see in me I need to repent from? And I really want to talk through, do I need to get baptized? You know, is that what I, I really want to do that? Because I know what Jesus did. I think you guys need to have some of those kind of conversations today. It'll change your life. I've never regretted making that decision once in my life. And some of the guys in here can tell you that they've never regretted making that decision. It was the greatest one I've ever made. But you've got to kind of you've got to trust Jesus somehow. And he'll kind of, and he'll take you home. And so guys, the last kind of couple of things I want to leave you with are, you know, for us, I just want to leave you with, is Jesus, is Jesus enough for what he did? Is that enough for you? Just to go all in with him. Because he felt like you were worth it. Do you feel like he was worth it? To do it in your life. Because that was an incredible sacrifice for him to give for you. We can't just go by idly. We have to make a decision. Yeah. And that's good news. I said, we get to make a decision. This is good. Because now I get to be free. I don't have to live in shame. Right. I get to be free from all that I've done. But we have to be the ones to say, I'm going for it. Let's do this. Rise. Let us go. Right? Here comes me. Walk with Jesus. I don't know, right? Or whatever. But let's make some decisions this weekend. Sound good? Yeah. We're going to pray and then we're just going to close out. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. God, I feel, uh, I just feel this humble. God, I feel, um, I feel this kind of let just unworthy. We talked about some of the stuff we talked about, God. And, uh, I feel, uh, I feel like uh, inadequate uh, being able to even like try to talk about what Jesus did for us and try to bring that to life. And, and God, I feel, uh, whenever I hear that, I feel kind of a mixture of feeling like somber and full of like guilt of what I've done. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like just so extremely grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, that you would decide to come down and leave your earthly kingdom, the earth heaven kingdom and come help me be clean. Help me make a decision. God, I pray for the guys in this room. God, I pray that if they haven't made that decision yet, I pray that they would, they would go all in. I pray they would trust you enough to trust and understand that you have, and you're looking out for what's best for them. They don't have to fear. They don't have to go through all this religious kind of stuff and this kind of put their faith in you repent, God, and change the way they live, and be baptized for forgiveness of their sins. And uh, we got to pray that some of those guys will make that decision this weekend. But, uh, but Dad, we love you so much. I'm just grateful uh, for your kids. Your son, Amen. Amen. Um, I wasn't going to propose, but it looks like some of the girls are about to be back up in here. So, here's fellowship.